Hi, I'm Ryan Jude. And I'm Helen Avery, and you're listening to Green is the New Finance from the Green Finance Institute. This episode, we'll be speaking to Sam Evans and Krista Patrick from Greater Manchester Combined Authority about the region's pioneering initiatives to attract investment into natural capital. That's the reason why we have been able to make progress is being able to bring people together, convene people, making things happen, getting plans in place and then starting to implement those. Policy and regulation are one thing, but then there's the resources to be at and the capacity and the capability, the expertise. This is a this is gonna need new, you know, more environmental economists, ecologists, new ways of thinking and new skills and new new jobs of, of you know those of us working in this area. So welcome everyone. We are back for another episode where we are heading to Manchester. Uh, well, virtually at least. So Ryan, I see you are dressed to honour the event in your Man United t-shirt. Excited to be talking about your neck of the woods? Yep, I'm, I'm wearing, you can't see the back, but I'm wearing my Marcus Rashford Manchester United t-shirt, especially for oh. the event today. It's rare that I get to wear this for anything work-related, so I'm very excited. Um, <laughs> but actually, I, I, think, I think you're probably the one that's more excited about today's episode as our resident nature expert. Um, I don't know about that, but I am excited. Um, yes, peat bog restoration, sustainable urban drainage systems. These are music to my ears, to be honest. Um, and we're going to be talking about the challenge and opportunity for local and regional areas when it comes to attracting funding to invest in natural capital, nature-based solutions in order to mitigate and adapt for climate change, improve biodiversity, improve health and well-being and increase jobs. What's not to get excited about? Indeed. And we're going to be joined by Sam Evans, Head of Natural Environment, and Krista Patrick, Natural Capital Coordinator at Greater Manchester Combined Authority, who have been pioneering many projects around regenerating natural capital including the development of projects and funds designed to attract private investment. And there's a lot to learn from the Greater Manchester Combined Authority and what they're doing. So without further ado, let's have our guests on. Krista, Sam, thank you for joining us today. How are you both doing? Yeah, fine, thank you. It's all well in Greater Manchester here. And you? Yeah, fantastic. I'm good, I'm good, I must say. And I I need to get this out up front because otherwise... Helen knows I've been banging on about this all week. As someone from Stockport, I'm very excited to have you two on to speak about what Greater Manchester's doing and really showcase you to other councils. So I hope you're all as excited as I am. <laughs> Definitely. We are indeed. Get a bit left out. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm so glad you're joining us today. And, and you know, obviously, we're here to talk about natural capital and um, developing nature-based solutions and financing those solutions. Um, and, you know, Greater Manchester is an exemplar really globally of going beyond thinking solely about climate and decarbonisation and then taking this natural capital approach. So we're going to talk through that journey, dive into the different projects and the financing of those, but perhaps we can just kind of start from the beginning to frame it for those listening. Um, So I guess the, the first question is, you know, we hear a lot about natural capital. What does it mean to you in context of the Greater Manchester Combined Authority? So I think for me, it's about valuing nature, not just recognizing nature's innate value, which is obviously really important to a lot of people, but it's valuing all those all those wider benefits that we know we get um, from the natural environment, the cooling it provides us with, reducing air pollution, reducing flooding, providing mental and physical health benefits. And it's really opening up that conversation about nature not just being good in and of itself, but about all those other benefits that it can provide us with and starting to put a value on those so that that value isn't hidden, it isn't overlooked anymore. 
And I think then that starts to open up the conversation about how do we build on those those benefits that the natural environment already provides us with? How do we get more value from our our natural capital? And then how I think it really then helps us to to make changes because what gets measured um, and gets monitored gets gets acted on. So obviously it needs. Um... It's amazing, for one, we just say that, um, that you're taking this approach. But obviously that needs some funding and we're going to, as I mentioned, sort of talk about that later. But so the Natural Capital Investment Plan was actually put into place in 2018. Can you share a bit about that and how that came about? Yeah, so um, I think probably just starting off, if you're not familiar with Greater Manchester, covers just under 500 square miles. So there's 10 local authorities and the combined authority and it's home to some 2.8 million people. and half of the area is actually being urban. So the other half in terms of variety of wildlife, natural habitats ranging from woodland, valleys, moorlands, river valleys to suburban gardens. And I suppose with other city regions, you know, we face major environmental challenges, um, whether that's air pollution, um, degradation of our priority habitats and increasing risks from climate change. So to kind of realise that ambition, particularly ambition set by UK government and the 25-year environment plan to improve the natural environment within a generation, Greater Manchester's five-year environment plan um, prioritises action to protect, maintain and enhance its natural assets and the multiple benefits they provide, as Sam has just mentioned, in terms of that kind of natural capital. Recognising that traditional grant and public funding will be insufficient alone to deliver these ambitions We've been pioneering new approaches to take on these challenges and safeguard Greater Manchester's natural environment for the future. So establishing and implementing a natural capital investment plan to mobilise existing um, as well as new sources of funding was one of the key outcomes from the first Mayor's Green Summit um, back in 2018. So just quickly to echo what Helen said, it's great. It's a really great initiative you guys are leading on here. Um, as part of it, you developed these natural capital accounts. Can you just speak a bit more about those and their importance to the wider plan? Yeah, so I think Grace Manchester's and we've got a, a relatively well-developed evidence base on, on natural capital. Um, there's also many existing projects and, and partnerships that you know are kind of looking to maintain and enhance the benefits that our, our natural environment provides. And as part of the, the natural capital investment plan, um, we carried out a baseline review of all of our evidence, ranging from our natural capital accounts, our green infrastructure maps, um, as well as kind of creating a long list of of potential projects. And the baseline review identified, you know, a number of key priorities and opportunities, really, which the investment plan can help achieve, you know, in terms of securing future investment. And I think some some of those are, are linked. So you've got improved health outcomes, you've got improving place, um, you've got building resilience, particularly around addressing climate change and flood risks, supporting the local economy, um, particularly through generation regeneration, um, but also conserving and enhancing our habitat and wildlife, um, sustainable travel, water quality and flood management, climate regulation and air quality improvements. So a lot of this work has all been informed by delivery of the natural capital approach, which began through the government's urban pioneer, one of four pilots in the country testing the government's 25-year environment plan, as well as the kind of EU life-funded natural course projects. And then through the actual accounts themselves, do you think this is beneficial in that it really puts a number on the benefit and makes people be able to connect to why you're actually doing all this? Yeah, definitely. And I think 
you know, understand. I mean, ultimately, this provides decision makers at all levels with the tools and the evidence to make more informed, joined up decisions. Um, and it's presented in a way which the benefits can be communicated to a number of different sectors in a language that they understand. And I think understanding what we have helps inform the investment priorities identified in the natural capital investment plan. So, for example, you know, one billion pounds is the conservative estimate of the value that Greater Manchester receives from its natural capital each year from the services valued. And this includes, you know, around 869 million pounds um, of value from its green spaces, providing services for recreation, amenity and mental health. And I think as half of Greater Manchester's area is urban, this approach is particularly useful to understand the value of, of our natural environment and our green infrastructure, you know, such as sustainable drainage schemes, trees planted to adapt um, urban areas, um, greenways used as active travel routes and uh, parks and other green spaces for leisure, recreation and particularly around promoting health and well-being. And I think that's why the Natural Capital Investment Plan is so important as it explores the potential for investment in these areas. It sounds like an enormous piece of work, actually, to to figure out that you know one billion a year figure. Um, how long did it take? And I just wondered, you know, how difficult is it to do this natural capital account? I think at the time, obviously, particularly through the urban pioneer and natural course projects, we were pioneering those approaches and and um, you know working with um, advisors, environmental um, economists there to actually kind of look at how we value and how we look at, you know, kind of the value from our natural environment. Um, and obviously what it does is draw on lots of existing research and and tried and tested models that all kind of look at the different values, whether that's health and well-being, recreation, um, kind of carbon, et cetera, and puts that all into the melting pot. I think we've come a long way since then in terms of, um, you know, nationally, there's a lot of work that's been done to actually create um, accessible natural capital accounts. Um, there's the natural capital handbook that's just been produced. And I think a lot of these resources now are so accessible that, you know, any area um, can use this and understand them in a way that actually um, isn't necessarily kind of uh, too much detail in terms of the science. Actually, they can use these very accessible tools that actually can give them, you know, some of the, the kind of key headline values with, without too much work really and resources and I think from what we did trialing them back in 2016 2017 you know over that time you know we've really kind of learned to develop them and, and advance them you know a lot a lot further really. I do highly recommend people at home looking at the natural capital accounts and you know I was going through them before and I must say that I'm very happy to see Stockport contributes 87 million pounds per year of that one billion in Greater Manchester but <laughs> I digress <laughs> Helen over to you. <laughs> um, uh, actually, I wanted to wonder if we can sort of pivot to talk about the um, the Greater Manchester Environment Fund. So all this work that you've talked about, this journey that you've been on, has kind of culminated in this launch of um, I don't know, do we call it GMEF or you call it GMEF? <laughs> GMEF. Um, can you share a bit more about the fund and what its aims are? Yes. So um, the what the Natural Capital Accounts and then the Natural Capital Investment Plan really told us was. And, and I think we, 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 we know this, that investment in the natural environment comes largely from public and philanthropic funding. Um, and really to achieve what we need to do to reduce, to reverse the biodiversity loss, to deliver all those other benefits, we need other sources of investment alongside the limited public and philanthropic funding that goes into the natural environment to be able to, be able to do that. So, yeah, we were really, really um, excited to have developed 
the Greater Manchester Environment Fund over the last uh, 12 months or so. And it's now it's been set up as an independent uh, charity set up by our local wildlife trust and has now received charitable status and has already secured um, £2 million of funding into it, which is an absolutely fantastic start for us. And projects are already getting underway on the ground to restore nature, to connect people with nature. And so we see this as kind of a long term initiative. It's not going to solve all our problems immediately. We've obviously it's done really well to bring in that that funding initially from the government's Green Recovery Challenge funding and, and it's brought in corporate social responsibility contributions from, from Suez who deliver um, the waste services in Greater Manchester. But we want to grow that and we see the real opportunity in the longer term of bringing in other funding sources at scale, but not just public funding, but broadening that out and developing the business models that will hopefully allow us to get private investment into Greater Manchester's natural environment. And the, the Natural Capital Investment Plan told us that Key priorities for that are around carbon, carbon trading. So companies and organisations wanting to offset their their carbon impacts where they can't reduce those or mitigate those through their own activities and around habitat banking as well. So the opportunities that will come from biodiversity net gain being made mandatory um, through the government's environment bill. So it's the start of a, we hope it's the start of a journey for us with a really exciting start, but that we can build on that to that holy grail of bringing in private investment into um, into the natural environment in Greater Manchester. The holy grail indeed. Um, and on that, in addition to the two million, I think there's a congratulations in order as you also recently received good news about being awarded funding from the Natural Environment Investment Readiness Fund. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, we were we secured another um, hundred thousand into the fund to help us develop those models around carbon trading and habitat banking, and we'll be focusing on one of our key strategic green infrastructure sites in Greater Manchester, which is, and I certainly wasn't that aware of it before I started working closely in Greater Manchester. Our lowland peat out, lowland peatlands out in um, in Salford and Wigan, so a big expanse of largely, unfortunately, degraded lowland peat, which is a strategically really important habitat for not just for biodiversity, but the potential it has to lock up carbon. So yeah, that funding from the Investment Readiness Fund is really going to help us work out how we how we develop a model where we can get funding in um, for organisations looking to offset their, um, their carbon and offset their biodiversity impacts. Um, and that will really help us put some warmth behind that work, really, which is great, which is great news. We're huge fans of the NERF here at the Institute and um, we've been very proud to work with DEFRA and the Environment Agency and Natural England on the fund in various roles, which we really hope will be able to drive private finance into nature. Um, and so we're really looking forward to following you and, and the other projects on that journey. Um, just to bring it back down and ground it into actual projects here, you mentioned the Salford Peatlands then. Um, it'd be great to hear about some of the projects that the fund's going to be looking at working with. Any specific ones you want to highlight? Maybe your top three? Yeah, so the um, the Green Recovery Challenge Fund in particular was um, an area in, de- in December 2020. Um, 1.8 million was awarded to projects across Greater Manchester. And I think you know it's important to say that that grant was the result of a successful bid to the government's Green Recovery Challenge Fund. And particularly in terms of supporting a green recovery from from um, from the pandemic, and 
these projects are a result of collaboration and long-term, you know, kind of collaborations and, and working, you know, these NGOs all working together. It demonstrates the strength in numbers in terms of these projects coming together, which can achieve a lot more, really. And in terms of the actual kind of projects, we've got a range, really. There's um, Dovestone, um, where the RSPB is working hard to restore peatland in the Dovestone area of Saddleworth. There's the Irwell Valley um, Revival. So this is um, set up by Berry Council, City of Trees and Lancashire Wildlife Trust. And the funding will help kickstart the recovery of management work in Phillips Park in Presswich, um, which will help maintain and enhance the natural heritage of, of this much-loved wild space. Um, and then going over to Old, Oldham, um, Northern Roots, part of the fund, um, Northern Roots is creating the UK's largest urban farm and eco-park on 160 acres, um, literally 10 minute walk from Oldham Town Centre. And it's it's a project specifically developed for and with local communities. And I think that's the important thing here, creating a range of activities and businesses on the site. And I think the project, one of the key things about the project is it's designed to engage with, with the area's diverse communities, school groups, youth organisations, whilst improving the park's quality of, of existing green space and biodiversity. And again, there are a number of financial models that, that are looking to develop in the, in, in the area, you know, whether that's habitat banking, whether that's carbon, um, but also, you know, looking to, you know, generate its own electricity and, and potentially, you know, kind of sell some of that um, electricity off grid. So, you know, there's lots of other projects there where that's, you know, kind of Love Your River in Tain, Rochdale Canal, Sail Water Park, you know, there's lots of projects to kind of go through, but those are a couple of highlights there. It's great to hear about the community engagement part. I think that's really important. A lot of councils, they should always take that approach to involve the community. Um, the local communities in, in Dovestone, in Oldham, in Bury, have they been quite positive about these conversations? Yeah, definitely. And I think without these communities, um, without, you know, those communities being involved in the development of these projects, um, you know, without them actually being involved in terms of opportunities. And I think wider opportunities as well. It's, you know, we've recently been uh, awarded um, um, Green Social Prescribing Pilot um, in Greater Manchester. And again, working with a number of um, communities in Greater Manchester that have been hardest hit by COVID. You know, the biggest issues around um, deprivation, inequality and access to the green space, um, but also in terms of, you know, kind of food, in, food insecurity. And, and so, therefore, you know, in terms of that, what we need to be doing is, you know, is focusing um, these projects on the communities, but also working with them. You know, that's the absolute kind of uh, imperative here is actually to kind of get these communities involved, get them engaged with nature um, and really to kind of, um, you know, kind of help own, um, you know, our kind of precious green spaces and, and, and continue that forward. So much great work. And there is another project I was wondering if we could squeeze in and talk about, um, because it's such a great example of collaboration, but also attracting sustainable finance. And that's the Ignition Project. Could you share us a little, um, could you share a little more about that? Yeah, so Ignition is a 12 partner project supported by uh, the EU's Urban Innovative Actions Initiative. And I, I guess some of the clues in that title about in innovation the challenge for us is around um, sustainable financing of nature-based solutions and bringing in other investment to deliver improvements in our natural environment. And that's really what Ignition is, is all about within the urban areas. It's about how we adapt our city region to climate change and the role that we know sustainable drainage systems, green roofs, green walls, street trees play 
in doing that and, and also all the other benefits that they can bring as opposed to the traditional grey solutions of pipes and, and that sort of thing. So the aim of the project is to, by the end of it next year, to have a set of sustainable drainage projects on the public estate across Greater Manchester, so schools, leisure centres, public buildings, and secure private investment to deliver them. You know, we all we all want to see, we all have that ambition of getting more private finance into nature-based solutions, but how do you actually make that happen? And we've been going through the steps of, of getting there, basically. So we've been building the evidence base for nature-based solutions. We've got a living lab at the University of Salford, which I would encourage all of your listeners to, to go online um, and check it out, check out the virtual tour on YouTube. It's a fantastic facility there, green wall, green roof street trees, um, rain garden, all connected together, all being monitored for the benefits that they're providing. And that is a really you know, inspiring place to see nature-based solutions. And that is really helping us build the evidence base and the confidence in nature-based solutions, showing the benefits that they can provide, particularly for you know, managing water in our, in our urban areas. But then building that evidence base isn't, isn't enough on its own to get people to pay and invest in nature-based solutions. So what we've been doing in developing those, those, that set of SUDS projects is really understanding not just the environmental benefits, but what are the financial benefits of those environmental benefits? Who might be willing to pay for reduced sewer flooding, reduced surface water flooding, the educational impacts, the biodiversity impacts? Um, and we've been working particularly closely with United Utilities, our water company in, in the northwest and in Greater Manchester, what that does in managing their risk. Um, so it's it's a big, complicated project. It's innovative. It's challenging. But yeah, we, we're, we're really trying to prove that case that we can get nature-based solutions projects to a point where they can be invested in. Cheers, Sam. Um, can also recommend the online tour. Definitely worth checking out if you if you have the time. Um, Sam, obviously you guys have done a lot of work to get the initial projects off the ground. As you said, working with local university, utilities, speaking to investors. Um, how difficult is it for other councils to replicate what you've done? What advice would you give to other councils listening if they wanted to copy it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think we've been good at securing funding in Greater Manchester and Brexit does bring, you know, with it some challenges on this because our two main projects are, you know, EU funded secured before we left the EU. And I think we will need some clarity from from government about how that gap is um that gap is filled, but we have been um, you know, good at securing funding to help build capacity because that's the big issue really is this isn't um statutory services for local authorities this is kind of you know we, we know we need to do it it's hugely important the climate um, and biodiversity emergencies compel us to do it but it's about the capacity and the capability to be able to do that which we've been able to bring in through um you know bringing in extra funding to the combined authority to help us do this i do think though it, it's really about building partnerships and Local authorities are really well placed to bring people together, to convene people, even though they may not have huge resources to start investing into into projects. They have those relationships with the local with the water company, with local landowners and, and land managers. You know, they can bring people together and coalesce them around um, around these sorts of challenges. So I think that's what I would say really is it's bringing others together so that it's more than just the local authority doing this, but they are part of and bringing together that wider you know, group of the willing. So, so you mentioned there, Sam, the challenge around funding mm. um, and that recognition of the finance gap, it's dawning, you know, just in England alone, how are we going to fund the 25 year environment plan? Um, and the aim of the NERF is you know, to create projects that are attractive to private finance or investment 
and hopefully we'll see something similar launch up in Scotland. And can we talk about this role then of private capital? You know, one ambition of the investment plan was to attract private finance, and you've specifically been looking at payments for ecosystem services. Krista, could you talk through where you have seen the potential investment opportunities? Yeah, I suppose there's two key ones that we're, we're looking at at the moment in terms of initial focus for the Greater Manchester Environment Fund, which we need to kind of deliver a proof of concept pilot um, in terms of investment to support um, the scale up of the model is um, around Habitat Banks, um, bank facility and, and carbon trading. So on the Habitat Bank facility, we've got Greater Manchester, but also, you know, kind of um, the UK's got ambitious targets to embed biodiversity net gain. We've been working for some time now with partners around um, how do we um, get ourselves prepared ahead of um, a mandatory biodiversity net gain um, and the 10% uh, net gain policy coming through in the Environment Bill? Um, and one of the, the key things that we did was, you know, to assess the opportunity to secure upfront investment in habitat creation and restoration, um, particularly because we know that, you know, there are limited funds out there. Um, we worked, you know, with Finance Earth. To, to actually, you know, in close collaboration with Salford City Council, um, the Greater Manchester Ecology Unit and the Langshire Wildlife Trust um, as part of a, you know, Greater Manchester Biodiversity Net Gain Task Group to forecast potential income levels from future development that could be generated through the sale of off-site biodiversity net gain credits in Greater Manchester. So Finance Earth analysed the development of that pipeline for Salford to project the annual biodiversity net gain income levels was expected to be received over from developments in the air over a five-year period. And the initial assessment indicated that over £300,000 worth um, could be generated annually in that local authority for off-site biodiversity net gain. And, and obviously, the key priority here is on-site um, with the mitigation hierarchy. But, you know, where developers can't provide on-site, you know, we, we need to be providing some form of mechanism that they can deliver um, alternative solutions locally. Um, and so based on the kind of prudent, you know, estimated credit value, that's kind of 12,000 per biodiversity net gain established um, through the consultation with Grace Manager Ecology Unit and Market Analysis. So that income stream could attract over a million pounds of upfront investment to deliver strategic habitats in the area. Um, and I think, you know, a preliminary assessment of the whole of Greater Manchester, we've still got to do some further work on that. But that suggests an annual off-site biodiversity net gain income of 5.5 million um, to 6.4 million. So that's a that's a sizable habitat bank investment opportunity, really. And and on the carbon mitigation facility, again, you know, with Grace Manchester's ambition to become carbon neutral by 2038, there's interest from companies and domestic offsets and the major need for restoration of Grace Manchester's carbon sink landscapes. So therefore the Grace Manchester Environment Fund is seeking to develop business models based on income generated by voluntary carbon credits as well. So just for example here, in terms of scale, there's 17,500 hectares of lowland and, and upland peatland in Greater Manchester with huge potential to store carbon, reduce flood risk and provide key habitats. So again, it's not only just about biodiversity net gain and carbon, it's it's wider benefits in terms of flood risks and, and, and other kind of um, benefits that come from that multiple benefit approach. 98% um, of Greater Manchester's lowland peatlands have been destroyed and what remains is badly degraded peatland that's emitting huge amounts of CO2. So there's potential around 180,000 tonnes potential annual reduction of CO2 equivalent available from restoring our degraded peatlands. And again, in terms of woodland, one million trees are to be planted by 2024, which will lock up carbon, 
you know, alleviate air pollution and reduce flood risk and improve biodiversity. So, you know, the, the Greater Manchester Environment Fund investment strategy that we provide, you know, identified the need for a pilot investment grant to actually create and test these novel carbon biodiversity credit investment models to fund these restoration projects. You know, ultimately in 12 months time, we want to be able to have a model that actually is deliverable on the ground. It's secured upfront investment from investors um, and also has the delivery mechanisms on the ground to receive um, payments, credits, and then repay through using those payments, repay back those investors, um, but also kind of use and channel some of that money back to other projects through the GM Environment Fund. That 98% figure that you touched on there, I mean, it's just, it's so depressing. And it really does highlight why we need to do this, why we need to place value on nature and all, everything that you're doing. Um, just to take a step back to the to the funding models you were talking about then, what's your sense of the actual appetite from the private sector currently to, to help pay for restoration or to buy these ecosystem services? I think one of the key things to, to stress as well in terms of, you know, how we value, value nature is, you know, understanding what we what we potentially could lose and the potential cost to society, but also the potential opportunities there for investment. But I think that investment needs, you know, we need to provide confidence to the market. And we are receiving an increasing number of requests from private sector, whether that's through corporate social responsibility or potential in terms of offsetting. And I think, again, you've got to come back to this whole notion about it's important to note that, you know, we, we should look at on-site first. But again, we, we do need to be looking at off-site um, provision because, you know, we do want to kind of um, ultimately look at steering that investment towards other projects or, or kind of key priority areas in Greater Manchester. And there's this kind of concept now of insetting rather than offsetting. So you're actually got local businesses investing in, in their local environment because they know that makes sense, not only in terms of from a business point of view, um, but also in terms of actually enhancing their own local environment, that that actually increases resilience in terms of their own business models. And I think together that that creates a resilient infrastructure. That um, from our point of view, you know, kind of how do we kind of blend those public and private finances together? But I think some of the key things that we need to look at here is providing an independent vehicle, an investment vehicle that aligns existing you know, restricted and unrestricted public funding streams for strategic use to benefit the environment. We need to mobilise and leverage public, private and philanthropic capital. We need to deliver grant funding, capacity building and seed funding, um, as well as repayable finance for strategic environmental projects. So a whole range of different, you know, kind of finance options, but also build a self-sustaining local environmental impact investment vehicle. Ultimately, we want to build a self-sustaining you know, kind of impact in investment vehicle, really. And again, to do that, we, we want to work with forward thinking businesses um, that are interested in these innovative financing models, but also interested in actually, you know, kind of investing in their local environment. So it's promising to hear that you're seeing it improving, which is which is great. Um, outside of the finance, though, on the on the policy side, you know, you've, you've mentioned some of the funding coming out of government, but also the environment bill, which you touched upon earlier, what more do you want to see coming out of central government to really help not just Greater Manchester, but regions across the country to make progress in this area? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the tone has changed within government and the environment bill is really welcome in terms of its ambition. I think policy really needs to continue to support that the natural capital approach that we've talked about. Government says it wants to go towards environmental net gain. I think it's really important about how, how quickly it can do that. 
so that we can get to those other ecosystem services beyond just biodiversity into um, net gain for water quality, flood mitigation, those other areas beyond biodiversity that we need to start seeing markets for. So I think policy interventions are going to be really important to help drive those markets and provide that kind of confidence, certainty, drivers to the private sector to invest in those. So it's not just the forward thinking businesses that that Krista mentioned that are coming to us because they, you know, they want to do this, but we start to see others coming because they need to. They're being, you know, compelled. We're having to to do this because that's the scale this needs to happen at to, to tackle some of those challenges um, that we know we're facing. Well, whilst I've got whilst I've got you on policy, Sam, you mentioned how this isn't a statutory service for local authorities earlier. Is that something you think could be progress over the next few years? Would you like to see it become a statutory service? I think I think some of the some of the um, environment bill will. I think the, the you know the duty there's certain duties in there on public authorities um, around things like local nature recovery strategies and uh, and and that, those sort of areas that I think will will change this and I think with the climate emergency declarations and biodiversity emergency declarations that local authorities are making I do think this will help drive it but I think the other thing is resources the government has committed to funding the new burdens that the Environment Bill will introduce on local authorities. So biodiversity net gain, developing local nature recovery strategies, which we've piloted in Greater Manchester. It needs to be recognised that that needs to be funded if we want local authorities to play the role that they can do to the fullest extent. That's the level, I think, from our work that we've seen some of, you know, that's the reason why we have been able to make progress is being able to bring people together, convene people, get people focused on making things happen, getting plans in place and then starting to implement those. So it feels like the local, you know, local level city regions, local authorities is, is the place for this to start happening. I think we've seen that reflected in the, the other bids and the other successful bids for the for the, the NERF funding as well. Policy and regulation are one thing, but then there's the resources to be at and the capacity and the capability, the expertise. This is a this is going to need new, you know, more environmental um, economists, ecologists. Um, it, it's kind of going to require new ways of thinking and new skills and new new jobs of, of you know those of us working in this area that I don't think we've kind of seen before so that it's it's a bigger picture than, than just policy and, and um, regulation and goes to sort of capacity and capability as well I think. I agree for sure so just to, to sum up in one line what would be your one big recommendation to local authorities that want to that want to do this as well? I'd say look outwards collaborate that would be my advice i think um also is you know there's a whole load of experience and resources out there and, and sharing on you know kind of knowledge but also others are out there doing some innovative you know great innovative work as well and i think you know look on you know other websites i mean we've got our own websites you know uh, the gmca environment web pages nature great manchester the ignition and natural course web pages where there's a whole raft of resources and the ignition has recently published its um, it's nature-based solutions investment guide for local authorities. So, and we produced our, our natural capital handbook recently as well. Um, but there's also, you know, a whole range of, of resources nationally, whether that's through the Environment Agency, Natural England, but also, you know, kind of other bodies like Ecosystem Knowledge Network and, and the Planning Advisory Service. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. Um, I think a lot of the learning that we've developed, particularly through the Urban Pioneer um, and through these, you know, Natural Capital Investment Plan. And through the GM Environment Fund, you know, we've, we've spent, you know, a couple of years developing this, but obviously we've learned by doing really. Um, and, and, and we're keen to share that learning. 
couldn't agree more that we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but double down on shared learning, collaboration. Um, so to wrap up, um, I wonder, we're asking all of our guests, if you could share what your hopes are for COP26 this year, Sam. So for me, obviously, the commitments on mitigation are vital in seeing those through. But I think for us, we've already locked in a degree of, of dangerous climate change. And the week we're recording this, we've seen the impacts of that in China, in Western Europe, in Germany, um, in Russia, in Western uh, North America. So for me, it's really welcome that adaptation is one of the one of the aims for COP26. And we need to see concrete commitments um, from governments on the action they're going to take on adaptation and recognition of the, the role and the links to the biodiversity emergency on that as well. So as well as COP26, we've got COP15 on, on the Convention on Biological Diversity due to take place in October that's, that's also being postponed. That for me is equally, you know, equally important and interlinked. Thanks, Sam. Couldn't agree more that we need to focus on adaptation more. Um, Krista, what about you? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, having a look at the kind of, you know, kind of initial agenda that's coming out for top, top 26, you know, biodiversity and, and adaptation are kind of fully embedded there. And I think, again, it's just making sure, I think, reiterating Sam's point about how, you know, we align the two in terms of COP26 and, and COP15 together. And I think it's this whole notion around not just declaring a climate emergency, but, a, you know, a biodiversity emergency as well, because both affect each other. Um, and I think both require action. They require similar and, and related and connected actions um, that we can all deliver on. Yeah, agree completely. You know, nature, climate, they're two sides of the same coin. And too often we speak only on the climate side, but hopefully through, through things like, like this podcast will help get out the importance of action on the nature side as well. Um, guys, look, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks very much for the time. That's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. So, Helen, what was your key takeaway from all that? Well, I think for me, I get really, really excited about this holistic view being taken, sort of looking at cultivating a relationship with nature, within urban areas, rather than I think the approach that you know, has been sort of post-World War II, which is like build here and leave nature over there. Um, and this really, this recognition that, you know, nature, if left alone or supported to recover, can save us really from impending health crises, mental health challenges, climate crises, economic disasters. So um, it's really just music to my ears when I hear of such commitment to bring it all together. It's a long way to go uh, to convince people that nature has a value. But um, what about you? Well, lots to take away, um, and you've touched on the main points there, but the key takeaway for me, um, I talked about the natural capital accounts earlier in the episode, and I just think they're honestly great. It's not just the numbers that we talked about earlier, but how they quantify things like the future avoided health costs, costs to the NHS, due to the better physical and mental health that nature can help a region have. In, in Stockport, of course, the natural capital accounts says there'll be 163 million pounds of avoided healthcare costs over the next 60 years. I just think that numbers like this are a great way to really connect it back to people and really show why it is that we're doing all this work, why the combined authorities doing all this work and the real benefits it has. And yeah, all regions should be looking to report these figures. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, as Sam said, what gets measured gets acted upon, which I thought was yeah, yeah. such a great phrase. Yeah, <laughs> and also just really thrilled to interview a Nerf grantee. Sure. Um, as you know, we're all really excited about the Nerf and and really all the learnings that are going to come out of that. That hopefully, you know, we can see projects replicated across the country and attract a lot more private finance. Yeah, hopefully, and just to just to round it all out, I just think in general. There's lots that other regions and local authorities can learn from what Greater Manchester is doing. And as, as both of our guests today said, there's no point in reinventing the wheel. We should all look to learn from others, collaborate, join these networks so you can see what other regions are really leading on. And Greater Manchester Command Authority have led here on the initial work on valuing natural capital. And others should look to copy what they've done. Yeah. So given they, many of these projects are in your neck of the woods, which one... Do you think you're going to pay a visit to? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm going back up north at the weekend and Dovestone is always beautiful. So maybe I'll pop down there if it's sunny and have a look. Will it be sunny? This is the question. Um, (laughs) It's rarely ever sunny in Manchester, but (laughs) fingers crossed. (laughs) Oh dear. Well, on that note, that's enough from us. Um, We'll be back in a few weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening to Green is the New Finance. Green is the New Finance is brought to you by the Green Finance Institute with audio production by Fairly Media.